Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you here this morning. I'm in a fabulous mood. It was a good football weekend for me, so I know that doesn't matter to a lot of you, but for me, that helps. And so uh, really lovely to be with you all. And uh, if you're joining us with us online, uh, thanks for uh, being here as well. And uh, we're glad you're here, too. Um, and uh, I, I just want to start today by um, reminding us that we're in Colossians, this great a letter that Paul wrote to the church, and um, we're going to be learning more about how to follow Jesus. Um, this past year, uh, 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 this past uh, few years for my wife Rachel and I, uh, we experienced something we call the COVID cocoon. Um, I have four children, and before the pandemic, two of my sons were pre-teenagers, and then everything shut down coronavirus lockdown, um, but it turns out, it turns out that even a lockdown can't stop childhood development, if you're wondering. It seems like our kids were morphing almost overnight, and the shock came when we started to venture out again after uh, things calmed down months later. Now, we'd grown somewhat accustomed to our own kids' changes, but when their friends came over, we couldn't believe it. Wait, is that is that Daniel or Wes? Or Yo no, that, that can't be. I see the resemblance, but that is not the same kid. And I remember a, a tall, strapping young man that I used to know as Wes coming to the door. In a deep voice that shook my glassware, he says, Is Cole here? Can he come out and hang out? Well, I guess. Just don't hurt me. Uh, come on in. and uh, So I, I, I invite him in, and then... Uh, I get my son Cole, and he goes to the door, and then, uh, but of course, when he gets to the door, he has a question for me, uh, and he says, Dad, can I have some parents? Money! That's right! Now he wants money so he can go out and buy a fancy boba drink, and uh, I'm like, what happened to my sweet little boy? Where'd he go? Well, somehow, that adult-like person was always in there. It was only a matter of time before it came out. Now, he didn't have to do anything other than adapt to this new reality. And while so much has changed for him, the truth is this transformation is far from over in his life. He's in the middle of something really profound. And we're in this series where we're studying Paul's letter to the Colossians and looking through the lens of what it means to follow Jesus. And in our text today, we want to consider what actually changes in us when we follow Jesus. When the Bible says we're new creations, what does that mean? So let's look at our text today. Colossians, starting in Colossians 2.20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Jesus, center of it all, hope of glory. May the words that I speak today and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, dear Jesus. And may we hear what you have for us and be moved to act upon it. Amen. All right, let's jump right into this passage. Uh, Paul begins and starts with a big assumption. He says, you have died with Christ. This is a really important theme for Paul, not just in Colossians, but all of his writing. And it's crucial to knowing how to follow Jesus. There is death involved. Specifically, a death, and it's yours and mine. Wow, nice way to start a sermon, Scott. Real uplifting, geez. Um, but sometimes we've got to start right at the heart of it. Paul says it this way in his letter to the Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And to the Romans, he says this, for we know that our old self was crucified, crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You see, we start off in this world with a rebellious heart that only wants to get its own way. It does, it does not care much for God. And Paul calls this our old self and says it needs to go. But it doesn't go easily. And the only one who can help us is Jesus. Jesus' death destroyed the power of that old self. And when we humble ourselves and receive Christ through faith, we claim that power, the power of the cross in our lives. We say goodbye to that old self. We let it die. And that's what happens when we receive Christ into our hearts. And if you've never done that, if you've never had that moment where you've just said yes to Jesus, you could do that today. You could do that right now. You could just say, Jesus, I, want, I don't want to live away from you, apart from you. I don't want to live in sin, and I'm sorry, and I want to receive you. I receive your death and your resurrection. I believe it, and I want to live in that new self. And the Bible says if you do that, if you pray that prayer, if you sincerely receive Christ in your hearts, you are a new creation. And this is symbolized in adult baptism when we go down under the water burying our old self and rising to new life in Christ. 
When we pour water on our heads in baptism, it washes away the old life and seals the spirit into our lives. And as Mark mentioned earlier, if you've never been baptized, we're doing baptisms in November. I encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, there's really good news. This death is actually really good news because when that old self is dead and gone, Paul says we are free. We're no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died, as he said, has been set free from sin, free from the power of sin, free from condemnation, from bondage, from death, free from the human rules and laws or human attempts to gain God's favor. Free from the guilt and shame of not measuring up. That sounds really good, right? Doesn't it? I see a few nods. Okay. It sounds really good because it is, but there's a problem. We don't seem to be very good at living this way. We so easily give up our freedom. We layer in rules and restrictions to our life. We think it will make us better or more holy or more acceptable. When my wife Rachel and I got married, uh, I made a startling discovery. We were with some friends and decided to play cards. Now, I grew up playing cards. It was a thing for our family. We loved all kinds of card games, and it brought warmth and joy to my mind to think of us gathered around a table, trying our best to win and beat each other in cards. That was very fun for me. And, and, and brought warm memories. So we were with our friends, and we were trying to decide which card game to play. And uh, my wife, at the, uh, she, just, she didn't seem to know any card games. Uh, this was concerning to me, so I probed. Why do you not know any card games? And that's when she had to explain to me in our newly married state, that in her church growing up, playing cards were associated with sinful and evil behavior, and she was really concerned about me, actually, and the fact that I wanted to play cards. So we had a little conversation, we call a crucial conversation that moment, about cards. Um, I'm glad to say that she's now, uh, you know, willing to play cards, doesn't love it, but um, she uh, plays cards, and uh, we got past that. Now, the Colossian church that Paul is writing to was made up largely of Jewish Christians, folks that had converted to a faith in Christ, but they were faithful Jews before that, following the Torah that was central in their understanding of how to follow God. Now, traditionally, the Torah is said to have 613 commandments. Now, that's a lot more than the 10 that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. And these young Colossian believers followed the pattern that they had known. Rules were the way to please God. So it's no surprise that they bring this into their new faith in Jesus. They're new creations living under an old yoke. And this is where Paul comes to this question that he asks in the text. Why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? It turns out that old self is pretty resilient. It just keeps coming back like a, a villain in a horror movie. It's Halloween coming up, right? That old self follows the old rules. And it wants to create 
limitations and we wind up restricting our freedom by creating rules that go beyond what God wants for us. And then we reflect proudly on how spiritual we are because we follow the rules. But think of the strong words that Jesus has for the teachers of the law in the Gospels. He says that they're blind guides and says that they've neglected the important matters of the law. He says that they appear righteous on the outside, but their inside is another story. So Paul keeps the focus pointed on things above, to Jesus. Moses gave us the law, but Jesus gave us himself. Jesus is the point. And I need to say this, because you may be getting the wrong idea. Jesus loved the law, but he knew its proper place. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them in me. See, the tragedy is we can follow all the rules and miss Jesus. But if we follow Jesus, really follow, we will get the rules right. You know, rules can be really comforting. You know, they, they, they make things known and uh, they sound wise and profound and they give us a sense of control. But they're not as it turns out, great at transforming us into new creations. And the truth is, we're pretty good at getting around them if we try. This is why Paul says that these lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence or helping us avoid all kinds of sin. So what's the answer? What do we do? Well, Paul says that we need to set our hearts and our minds on things above. We need to live into our true identity, our new self. We are new creations. We have been raised to new life in Christ. Everything is different. Our perspective needs to get bigger and more generous. We need to see beyond what's right in front of us. And this big vision is sometimes we call this the kingdom of God. We need a vision of the kingdom of God. And here's what Dallas Willard says about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God reigning. It's present wherever God, where whatever God wants done is done. It's the range of God's effective will. God's reign is all around you and it's from everlasting to everlasting. It's the natural home of the soul. And it's the natural home of your new self. Mark's gospel uh, says it this way. The, the, the message of John the Baptist is, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news is the kingdom of God is here. It's available. It's right now. God is reigning. But how can it be true? I mean, I read the news, don't you? What about all the pain and suffering in the world? What about the battle in my heart every day to do what God wants me to do? So at this point, I need to introduce a theological concept that's really important for understanding how all this works. Are you ready? When we think of the kingdom of God, we need to understand that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection made the kingdom 
fully available right here, right now. It's already here. And at the same time, we know that at some time in the future, and we don't know the days, even the angels don't know the days, Jesus will return. And he will make all things right. The kingdom is not fully realized until he comes again. So we think of the kingdom of God as already here and yet also not yet here. Already, not yet. Have I confused you yet? Yeah. Okay, that's honest. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. One way to think of it is how we experience the seasons. Now, I know we don't have much seasons in California, but I grew up in Montana. And when I looked at the calendar on March 20th, it would say the first day of spring. And I would laugh because there was probably going to be a blizzard outside and it might have been below zero and there was no chance of a flower popping up through the cold, hard, frozen tundra ground that we had. Um, But it was the first day of spring. I knew it was coming. Spring would come. There would be cold and warm days, but it was only a matter of time before the warm days won out and the snow would melt and the flowers would bloom and my depression would lift. Did I mention I live in California now? So there's this point where we know it's coming, but it's not quite here yet. Theologian George Ladd said, The kingdom is now moving through the lives of God's people one by one and building an unstoppable roadway to a new future kingdom that will express the fullness of the teaching of Jesus. It's coming. It's coming. And it's here. Paul reminds the Colossians of who they are. They already belong to the kingdom, And they must take their eyes off the earthly things and set them on the things above. They need to set their sights on the promise that will come to pass. Another way to say this is we need to live in this world, in this world, like we belong to the next. We need to live in this world like we belong to the next. Because we do. In this world, there will be pain and struggle. We will be tempted to go back to the old ways and patterns, to the old rules, to give up our freedom. But that's not the end of the story. And Jesus, just like he tells his disciples and you and I, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, sometimes the kingdom is hard to see. Sometimes things are hidden. People's eyes are blinded. We see through a glass darkly. And in this in-between time, we don't need to be surprised about setbacks and struggle and doubt. Our hope is set on knowing how things end up. All that is hidden will be revealed. Our true nature will be exposed. That's why in Hebrews we read, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
Discipleship, following Jesus, is learning to live with the mindset of hope in God's promises, not just in what we see or don't see right here. Because Paul says our life is hidden with Christ. Our hearts and minds are being changed and we're becoming new creations, but we don't always see the change. It's hidden, but still real. We are people who live in hope, trusting in the promises of God. And as it says in 1 Corinthians, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Your spiritual DNA will get expressed over time, with or without a COVID cocoon. If we keep our eyes on the things above, on God's promises, and continue to surrender our lives to Jesus, we will become our new selves. It will happen. My uh, therapist reminds me sometimes when I'm in a bad place that I need to remember what is true. I need to keep doing the things in my life that I know will help me be the person I want to be, even if I don't feel like it. My instincts would lead me to do things that would only deepen my emotional struggle. So I put one foot in front of the other. I trust that there is something bigger at work in me. And I keep my eyes on what I know is true. And slowly but surely, my hope is restored. I find joy again. But it takes time. And a vision for what will be. As we finish up today, I, I just want to say I'm not, I'm not sure how you're showing up in this room today or how you're showing up as you watch this. You may be wondering if change is possible for you. Maybe you've been trying to do a bunch of things that you think will make you look and feel like a better person. Maybe you've, you've given up and just resigned yourself to the way things are right now. However you find yourself today, I want to say that I'm so glad you're here because that's a step to saying I want things above and I have hope. And I want to offer you a few thoughts uh, about how to hang on to, a few thoughts to hang on to as, as we finish up today. First one, following Jesus will change us. It's inevitable but it doesn't happen overnight. And sometimes it seems like nothing is happening at all. It will take your entire life to become your complete new self. Not, not overnight. And this makes it an exercise in trust. I keep trusting. If I were to graph my spiritual life, it would go up and down and around and over and sometimes backwards but I'm trusting that God is doing something in me. So we hang on to those promises that that hidden work that God's doing will be completed. And it will be completed when, when he comes again. And until then, we're works in progress. Another thing. We can let go of the expectation to arrive somewhere and have it all wrapped up in a nice package. Um, it doesn't happen cleanly and neatly. Change is not linear. 
It's kind of messy. It takes a lot of different turns. The Spirit will break into my life and our world at different times and in different ways that we probably don't expect. So many of the profound things that have grown me in my life, I could have never predicted. So we can't, we can't control it. We can't make it happen. We trust and we let God do what God does. And finally, I want you to know this. Who we are right now, who you are right now, is not the end of the story. There is always hope. We live with hope. Nobody's perfect, as we say around here, but anything's possible. And this is true regarding your transformation as well. It's never too late, and God will do what God promises to do. Who you are right now is not the end of the story. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That's what Paul says. And our true selves, our new selves. That's the hope of lasting change for you, for me, for all of us. Let me pray. Jesus, I confess that I'm a long way from the new self that I want to be. And I confess that I get ahead of myself. I get discouraged. And I sometimes wonder if you're doing anything in my heart. But I trust you. And we all want to trust you more. And we want to say, we open our hearts to your work in us. Help us to keep our eyes on the things above, our hearts and our minds focused on you. We would say, even so, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come into your, in your fullness, in your kingdom. May your glorious rule and reign over all creatures and all things be true today and always. We pray that in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, well, we're not quite done yet, okay? Um, are, are, are you guys okay? All right. I have a really, really fun announcement to make, okay? Um, as we conclude our service today, I get the pleasure of sharing something very exciting, and that is, ready, buckle up, after months of prayer and discernment, our senior pastor search committee and session board have identified a candidate for our next senior pastor here at Menlo Church. Um, so I want you to know that unanimously and enthusiastically, we commend Phil Eubank to you, our congregation, and let me tell you a little about Phil. Uh, he comes to us from Eastern Hills Community Church in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, Phil is a humble and prayerful pastor, as well as a bold and gifted communicator. He loves scripture, uh, and he preaches under its authority, and he is inspirational in his teaching. He's compassionate, kind, forthright, courageous, and willing to be nuanced when so many others today are not. 
He's passionate about transformation and life change. And Phil has also demonstrated leadership and management gifts that will equip him to address the needs of our congregation and their changing needs and our changing needs. Now, I I could say a lot more, and I'm sure you have lots of questions, and I know um, we're eager, really eager for you to get to know more about Phil and his lovely family. Um, So we've set up a website, a special page on our website where you can learn more, and we're going to be sending out emails. Uh, There's one coming out this afternoon and throughout the weeks uh, so that you can get to know Phil better. And... um, We know that when you uh, experience him uh, in all those various ways, uh, you're going to get as excited as we are. Now, um, I have one very important uh, item to let you know about and put on your calendar. Because the next step in calling a senior pastor to our church is a congregational vote of our covenant partners or members. Um, The elders have called a special congregational meeting for November 6th at 1 p.m., Phil is going to be preaching for us on that Sunday, and then uh, we'll have, after the services, that 1 p.m. congregational meeting with one agenda item to vote uh, for Phil. And if you are here uh, today, we're going, here's the good news, we're going to have food, that's right, free lunch for you so you can stick around, because I know you were wondering, you're right, right? Uh, We'll have uh, food, and also it'll be at 1 o'clock, so hopefully if you're coming from another campus, um, you can make it here in time uh, for that one o'clock meeting. This is a really important and uh, uh, you know, crucial moment for our church. We don't want you to miss it. So please put that on your calendar, one o'clock on November 6th. Uh, I also wanna say it's been uh, quite a journey for our church and the, the search has been uh, quite a journey as well. And I'm thankful for our search team, for all the work they put in, for their discernment, for their willingness to wait on the Lord and, uh, and to get us to this point. So can we say thanks to our search team for getting us here? Thanks. I have gotten to spend some time with Phil, and I am just thrilled and excited for him to become part of our Menlo family and, uh, and to lead us into this next season. So let's, uh, let's pray one more time, and then we'll continue in worship. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness to Menlo Church and all who have served it in the past and all who will serve it in the future. We thank you for bringing Phil to our attention, for uh, mutually discerning a call to this place. And we trust in your spirit's work in that, Lord, and we just ask that you'd go before uh, Phil in this season um, as we prepare and uh, get ready to vote and all that is ahead of us, God. We leave it in your hands. We surrender it. And we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.